Welcome to Doing the Most, the series where we talk about the misadventures of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, execution strategist and serial entrepreneur. This series is here to get real about what entrepreneurial life truly looks like. We are driven, persistent, hardworking, ambitious. We are human, and these are our stories. Please note, all season one episodes were previously recorded for our video series. Welcome back to Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. This week, we have Steve Bean. He is a serial entrepreneur, a creative, and a super connector, but I'll let him tell you a little bit more about himself and what he does for work. All right. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Definitely Uh, grateful to have you here. Oh man, no, we, we must have met a couple of years back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And every time I've seen you do anything, it's been a constant hustle and it's always been making me feel like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> so much inspiration. Um, so yeah, in terms of, I guess, what my background looks like, what I've been up to, um, I right out of college immediately got into entrepreneurship by accident because no one ever told me in college what it was. And then I had like a little program right after that was just like, oh, hey, you're doing entrepreneurship now. Like, it was one, one class as part of a one month program and the one class was in entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh my God, why did no one ever tell me this before? It's everything that I wanted because I was always so bored by like traditional career paths that had already been done, nothing new, nothing that actually like tapped into what I really cared about. And then what I... First, like my first endeavor after college, after that program, um, was to start a company because what I encountered was, you know, I, I graduated in 2011 and so many of my classmates were looking for work and having a lot of trouble. Even graduating from like one of the top schools in the country, they still couldn't find jobs. And so I was thinking, okay, why not? Like, why is it that you can go online dating and like find a date in a matter of 10 minutes, but you can't just like find a job in 10 minutes, let alone 10 days or weeks? Mm-hmm. I had some friends like nine months out of school still not being able to find work. And it's like, this is crazy. So what I fir- my first business was really just trying to find out how do we create almost like an online dating experience, but, but without the, you know, horrible things that you hear people talk about and put on Tumblr <laughs> or the job matching experience. So what does it look like to actually be able to find a job that suits you based on compatibility? So I, w- I worked for five years on that um, before ultimately realizing that like it was just an industry that I was not prepared for overall. Like it was very rapidly changing, um, but the fundraising climate was extremely difficult, uh, especially um, pulling together a team, keeping it together, funding us the whole way, like that, all of those different variables, they were super exciting, but also like extremely, extremely difficult one after the other, um, oftentimes all at once. so yeah, it started, that was like my first entrepreneurship thing. Uh, and then around the same time out of school, I started, I like found like, how do I make money? That was always like the, you know, it's really, you can't just run a business without having some way mm-hmm. of finding housing. And so um, this whole time, since like the last seven years, I've been doing uh, dating consulting. So um, it started off with me just being very nerdy about the industry. I was following news and blogs and blogging myself uh, downloaded about 70 dating apps to try them out, started talking to everyone who I met and all my friends with the apps they were on. And then it just so happened that people, I realized that there was a market for this. People wanted advice on like how to navigate the dating scene. 
and founders wanted advice on how to launch a new dating app. And so I found that there was like a two, two different markets that wanted the skills that I had inadvertently picked up just by being really nerdy about one very particular topic. Mm -hmm. um, and so I managed to do some consulting on the side that actually helped me fund my way through running that first startup. And subsequently, you know, for the last seven years, it's been keeping me going. Um, and I think that's like a, it's a pretty big privilege in and of itself, just being able to have a single thing that you know will make you money and enough to survive while, and it doesn't take too much time um, so that I would free up a lot more time to be able to work on the actual, like the bigger scale uh, companies that I was founding or co-founding or joining up with. Um, so that was something that definitely kept me through. And I'm still, that's like what I'm still doing now is, um, everything tied to the dating and relationship and the human connection sphere. So instead of just matching people to jobs, I'm now also um, focused on a podcast about human connection, um, on consulting for the industry, for individuals uh, that's still going, and also for, um, I guess I've been blogging the entire time through, and I've been really trying to redouble those efforts because I feel like now more than ever, there's so many people who just don't really know how to navigate what's going on and yeah <laughs> person at a time whereas with blogging it's like here i've just this is everything i've learned from the last like 100 clients take it this these are all like the things i can distill down to what makes the most sense for at least those 100 people plus everyone i've also talked to awesome awesome that's really great and from the the first time we were doing the business and you said you know it wasn't really matching up. What were you finding as like the biggest challenge with the dating app algorithm kind of thing when it came to when it came to finding jobs? Like, what was like the biggest like mis um, thing that you found out while going through that process? Well, I think the from the entrepreneurial perspective, like the hardest part was that it was a two sided market. Mm -hmm. So we had three teammates, and I was handling basically all of marketing and most of product, and so doing that like marketing sales, business development, and product design and develop, not development, just like knowing like, based on all the people I talked to, what should the product actually look like? What should it do? That was just like such an insane amount of work to try to take on um, that it was, you know, like every time I talked to job seekers, they'd have their own ideas of what they wanted, what made the most sense for them. And then I talked to employers and they'd have, and it wasn't just employers, you know, like there's hundreds of possible industries, employer can be literally anything. It could be a recruiter, it could be an HR manager, it could be a founder who's doing all the hiring themselves. Um, it could be an outsourced recruiting agency for a particular company. And so like it just, the complexity of the industry just kept growing and growing the more I dug into it. And we had already, you know, decided we wanted to help fix the process. Mm -hmm. Every single step of the way, like the complexity just kept ballooning. And so trying to build a product that actually could service all of those different needs was just, it was so much of a like scope creep. Yeah, so broad. <laughs> and so we're, like when we saw that like the companies that were succeeding in the market were ones that were taking an extremely narrow approach, not trying to be everything. And ultimately a lot of those companies, like you start off narrow and then just like pick up new things as you go, as you learn more about what the market wants. But because we started a little bit broad, uh, we, you know, we wanted to match any person to the job that is right for them. So you can't just pick one industry, you know, we wanted to appeal to people who had no idea what was best for them. Mm -hmm. you know, like a year's worth of research just to find out, like, how do you match any person to whatever they would be the best fit with? But then trying to take that product, which we had designed, and actually get customers and users 
that's where it got extremely difficult because we actually built the whole product. And like, I was really happy with it. We made two hires for our own team within the product within minutes. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm glad everyone use it. But then, you know, that's when I have to actually call up an employer, call up um, potentially their recruiting agency, find out why they're recruiting that way, what kind of, you know, problems they're facing. Obviously that kind of work should have probably been done <laughs> before we even touch the product itself. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's a first time founder problem of like, you know, you, you bite off more than you can chew. You get really excited about what the product could look like and like you build it, hoping that more people will use it later. But that's, you know, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes into the, the scenario of you don't know what you don't know. Right. So you might think it, it's, it's A plus A, but it's really like A plus A plus B squared to the C. And it's like, you just didn't see or even think that other part of it existed. But you know, it's all great learning experience. So out of all that, like, what did you learn from it that was able to now leverage into being like a seven year um, adventure for you? Like what was the biggest like positive, like learning lesson that came out of it? I think the cool thing was that and this may be a thing about being a founder in general, or it might be unique to the way that I approached it and my specific role within the company being like business development, marketing, sales. Um, even though it produced no money for me over the course of five years, um, and I had to like do consulting on the side to make any of my income, um, what I found to be most impactful was that the social capital that I accrued during that time was completely insane. Like I was on a first name basis with founders of multi-million and in many cases, multi-billion dollar companies. And it's like having that degree of social capital where those people would invite me to dinner, invite me to brunches. I'd invite them to things. I'd give them dating advice. I'd help them through their marriages. Like that level of intense social capital, like having friendships and direct access to the people who oftentimes make really large scale decisions. Um, made it pay, it opened the doors for a lot of other opportunities uh it also made it so that certain things that in theory shouldn't have ever been even conceivable could happen without even blinking an eye so like at one point i was offered keys and i, I think i mentioned this too before i was offered keys to a 30 million dollar a 50 million dollar building okay <laughs> it was like wait how did that happen and it was because a number of people had told the person with the keys who had access that like my friend and I were the ones who were the best people to talk to if you needed to build a community of creatives in New York City. And so we were handed the keys and told, build the community then. <laughs> so like that, how on earth would that have, like if I, I called my mom and I was like, so um, I have keys to this building in middle Manhattan right now. It's you know empty and I have to put people in it. She's like, what does that even mean? How are you making money? And I was like, well, I'm glad that you're asking, you know, some important questions, but. <laughs> I don't think she could grasp like what it meant to have access to real estate in New York. Cause there's people who, you know, they can barely afford their co-working space, let alone have access to a whole building. It's five floors, you know, like that kind of thing is, um, that was a shock to me, but also like really cool. And it was a really like intense challenge to be basically, it, it was validating to be known as someone who can build a community of that scale, but it's also a challenge when it's like, okay, now I have to actually do the thing. Yeah, um, it's like nerve wracking. Um, but yeah, I think that's, it's, it's something, there's something about entrepreneurship that I find extremely satisfying that you like, you never really know what's going to come next and you just keep trying to like create value and ideally capture that value. You know, that's one of the things I've been terrible at. Like I can, I can create it for a lot of people, you know, connecting them to literally anything they need and using 
social capital very fluently, the way people would use cash. And it's like, oh, I need a, I need a, a space. Let's you know put down a thousand bucks to reserve that space for the evening. And I ma- I just made two phone calls. Like, <laughs> yeah. Capital only. I say, hey, you know me. I know you. I've helped you plenty of times in the past. Can you hook me up with a space? And they're like, yeah, of course. They're like learning to speak with social capital rather than traditional capital is something that entrepreneurship definitely taught me. And it's something that it's fun. I only notice that when I talk to my, like my parents or my family or people who just don't understand the world of social capital and the world of how entrepreneurs have to get by when they aren't making money for their company for the first couple of years, you know, it's, it's not that easy. And oftentimes making money is, you know, in the, in the venture capital scene, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, we'll do, we'll do that later. We'll we'll make our cash, you know, in, in five years down the road, but first we need to, you know, double down on investments in our infrastructure, in our marketing. You know, I know we don't have any cash on hand, but let's take out a hundred million dollar loan and <laughs> buy some marketing spend. It's like, okay, cool. But it's, it's, it's kind of like, it throws a lot of baseline expectations of how the world works on their head. And then as an entrepreneur, you have to just kind of be militantly creative about how to use that kind of, all different forms of capital. Yeah, 100%, 100% agree. And I think social capital is oftentimes minimized, right? Folks look at it as, oh, you just know a bunch of people. But they think if it's not like liquid cash, like something that you're handing over, physically, it's not as strong. Whereas social capital, like you said, you know, you're making two phone calls. And I think, and I've, I've had the same experience where most of what I've made over the last year has been through social capital where I can like call up on certain folks where, you know, someone goes missing or they're unresponsive on social media. I'm getting an email. Hey, do you, do you know where X, X and XYZ is? Have you heard from them on the site? Maybe I have, maybe I have, but I'm like, wait a minute, this person, you know, people depend on me for like this, the introductions and the connections. And that's super valuable. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about this space that you built. Like, what was the journey like building it? And I know towards, like, when it was done, something else happened. So I want you you to tell us about your misadventure when it came to that um, $50 million building. Yeah. Um, So basically, someone that I had been connected to um, managed to talk his way into a lease on this building. turn it into a massive virtual reality experience center and he was like okay but we need like a team to do the build out we need to design it we need to market it we need like all the people to like actually make this thing a reality like we have access we have a unique opportunity to have access to the space but now we need all the people to make it happen you know and it's there's like all there's the nitty-gritty of like you know we need people to clear out the old stuff from the building so like this you need to hire people who have like trucks or workers, but you also need to have, you know, a designer, a marketer. Um, you need to have the access to, the, like, for virtual reality, you need to actually purchase licenses to be able to showcase any of the materials in many cases. Yeah. And so, like, there's just so much work that is almost unseen. And so he knew he needed, like, a, just more people with more skills and more connections within the city so that you're not going blind and Craigslisting the whole way through. Um, and the last thing you'd want to do as an entrepreneur is have to post your role on like monster.com and hope <laughs> someone, you know, sends you a resume. Like that's not how entrepreneurship works in the early stages. It's like, it's people, you know, it's people who know people, you know, you know, it's so much of it is the early stage, like social capital. Sometimes like serial entrepreneurs are powerful because like they 
have all of the people they've met already who can just jump right in and be like, yeah, you're doing it again. All right, I'm in. Um, so I got the call saying like, Hey, there's this building we have, uh, and we want to build a virtual reality community. You were tipped off as someone who knows, you know, a whole bunch of people working in tech. You ran the, you know, a tech centered, uh, hiring platform. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I got handed the keys and I was just told now like make the community happen. And so I started a fellowship, uh, of as many different creatives with like flexible lifestyles who could just show up you know they didn't know what was going to happen really they just knew that they wanted to build really cool things i had a guy working on like a vr opera um they had people who are developers people who are vr designers people who are using it for social and political activism um it was just kind of crazy it, we, had, we ended up with over 100 people in our fellowship who are all working together and like meeting one another. We had lots of different events that we hosted within the space to get people to know one another so they could work together really seamlessly. Um, and we worked pretty diligently for about, it was like a month of just like clearing the space and making it functional. Um, and then another month of like building the community and actually getting them to know one another and to bond and to understand how they could potentially work together. Cause that, you know, that, that takes time and effort because there are these people yeah. What do they do each day? They're not just like coming in to work for free. You know, they, they'll come in when they have availability in their schedule, when they're not working on other client work. Um, and then we have to like give them a reason to come in. It's not just like an empty space that, you know, for a while we didn't even have Wi-Fi. So it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> there are things like that that you have to worry about. Um, and then after about two and a half, three months, uh, that's when the landlords were like, all right, we don't really want to have a community here anymore. <laughs> we're like wait what <laughs> we have like a partnership in place where we would be working with you guys for the next six months and they're like eh, yeah no you leave. and I was like I just literally put my social capital on the line to bring over a hundred people into the space to work toward this great end of making this experience center and you're just going to tell everyone to leave like is that is that a thing <laughs> Wow. It's not like they needed the space that we were even using. That was like the part that was boggling to me because it's like we have these people working and like bringing the whole industry to you. And here you are saying that you don't want exactly the thing that you're going to stand for. Okay. Like, wow. So in the span of like two weeks, suddenly we had to wrap up everything and just piece out of that space. And if you want to try finding a space on zero budget for a hundred people to work together, have fun with that. <laughs> city um so yeah that was like a pretty huge letdown and the whole thing occurred in the span of that was like a four month span of 2017 and my whole world was just kind of like it went from zero to craziness to zero again and it was mildly traumatizing but also like it was definitely a learning experience i got to see what it's like to see myself working 22 hours a day <laughs> oh my god and and not feeling bad about it like feeling really wonderful. everything I was doing was pulling together all of my favorite people in the world that I I was personally willing to invest in and like make sure that they had a really good experience make sure that they got to know everyone else who I thought would accelerate them um and I think it taught me a lot about how social capital works you know like with traditional capital if you have like you know 10 bucks you can either put it in your checking account your savings account or spend it and when you have social capital like we don't really think about it in the way that I think we should be. So like a lot of times if you ask people for things, you know, that's spending directly from your savings. Like if, if it's not benefiting them, it's costing them to help you out, then you're literally losing social capital. 
as this person's helping you because they're gaining nothing from it. And mm-hmm. so when I think about social capital, I oftentimes like to think about, you know, how do you invest in social capital in such a way that it accrues interest over time? So like if you connect people together, then like you've made an investment in them, which causes your, like that little bit of work you did, if they then become co-founders and found a million dollar company or a billion dollar company, like that's your social capital going up because yeah. you created a little thing that ended up like paying out dividends and interest over time. And so I like to think about it that way in terms of like the, the people, like there were, I made an ask to a lot of people in my community, which cost me a lot of social capital. I said, stop what you're doing, come over here and work on this thing. And then a lot of the people though, ended up meeting so many people who like profoundly transformed their lives and accelerated what they're working on and gave mm-hmm. them hope that like the, the number one thing people said when they came into the space, they're like, how is this even possible? Like, mm-hmm. how is there this space where all of these amazing creative people are gathering and building these things and kind of like coming up with really cool ideas together, working on passion projects. And I, all I could say was, you know, like just appreciate it while it's here and, <laughs> and to like meet the, like meet everyone. Cause these are the kind of people who like I've spent years trying to cultivate communities of people who would like, be able to, you know, synchronize with one another and work on really cool things. And to be able to have that opportunity was huge for me. So I'm like, take advantage of everything we have here you know, it won't last. That's, you know, we, we knew we would never have more than six months in the space in the first place. So it wasn't like a, that, that tragic a thing to have it cut short. But um, I think the main thing that I really wanted to focus on when I was bringing everyone together is just this notion that, you know, help one another to build that social capital because you don't know in entrepreneurship whether traditional capital will come. You could spend years, like I have a friend who's spent a year and a half trying to raise money for his startup. And he's just watching his savings dwindle, dwindle, dwindle. Because <laughs> with every conversation, it's either getting him like one step theoretically closer to money, but like ultimately, if they don't sign the check and you can't pay your employees, then there you go. Yeah, it's all down there. We had a beautiful dating app that we designed a couple of years back. Um, and I, I was consulting for a client who had enough budget to like get me get us that far. And then when it came time to actually go through with the development process they had enough budget for like half of it and then they were expecting to finish a fundraising round and they failed and so there goes the app it's like one of my favorite apps that the industry could have had and it's just gone wow and stuff like that just happens almost overnight kind of when you think about it because so if you miss your moment when you're kind of like in that accelerated phase where people are paying attention they're listening you know like if you have your 15 minutes of shines for 15 minutes of spotlight if you miss it it's really hard to kind of build up back that momentum especially if you were expecting something like and then you're like oh nothing happened then they're not going to be as excited next time around it's going to be a little bit hard a lot harder to kind of gather that um interest and that attention again um i want to talk a little bit more about your travels and like your connections that you've created through traveling and like why do you hold the human connection so so dear? So it's like the first question, the first part of that is like your travels and like what you've done through it, and then the second part is like why do you think it's so important to have these human connections? Yeah, um, I've been pretty lucky in that almost all of the travel I've done has been paid for not by me. Okay, <laughs> that's been because I've been like I've had consulting clients who want me in their city to like sit down and actually talk with them. Um, I've had a lot of my trips sponsored by other companies because they wanted me at a specific event 
under their company banner. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm happy to do that if you're paying my way. And, you know, I get to see a new city. I get to make all, all the industry contacts that I want. Um, I get to nerd out with other people who are really nerdy in the first place about, you know, whatever this industry is that I happen to be speaking on behalf of. Sometimes it's entrepreneurship. Sometimes it's the online, mostly it's the online dating industry. Um, and so for me, I look at it as, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, put up a paywall up front and tell people that like, oh, you have to also pay me. I mean, sometimes I do, but yeah. um, sometimes it's like that social capital is worth it because I get, I get to not only see a new city and meet a lot of people there and have, you know, most of, you know, like flights and accommodations covered. Um, but once you're meeting all the people in the industry, and especially if you're the person giving the talk or you're the person able to, you know, collect the business cards and make those relationships, those so, those so frequently last longer than any other, like if you give me 500 bucks, I'll have it spent by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. If contact and it's actually someone who I get to know and can like have a, a true relationship formed from the way I look at it is like that person may not always be even in that industry, but if that person has like a name and a face and we recognize and care about one another and we've like established an actual bond of trust and we've, like we've built up social capital within one another there's, I can't tell you how many times someone who was like a recruiter for like this prestigious company and I'm like, Oh yeah, all, like, this is so great. Then they leave the company and it's like, well, now what? <laughs> so like I, if my social capital were only contingent upon me knowing people who are in a, their current position, then like, then it dwindles every year because people switch jobs every like, year or two. And so what's so much more important is that like this person knows and recognizes you for you, not just you for whatever role you happen to be in at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the people who have really stuck around are the ones who have actually taken the time not to just care about them for, you know, oh, you're like the, you're the gatekeeper for this particular company at this particular time. Like, I don't like to address people as that. I address them more as like, oh, you're the one who has like two kids and you're really working hard to like make this change happen. And regardless of what industry you happen to be in or what company you happen to be working for, or whether you raised money recently, you know, you're the person who's putting your energy and your livelihood on the line to make this thing happen. And so I think that's where for me, social capital plays such an important role because it's so much more about validating the person for who they are and where they are and what they care about mm-hmm. rather than what role they happen to be in. And so I think that for me is why travel, like when I'm traveling around, I get to meet these people in all different cities. So anytime I meet anyone else who's like, I could meet someone in LA and I've only known them for like 10, 20 minutes, but we had like a moment where I'm like, I respect what you're doing. And you seem like a really good person. I like the conversation we had. If they post, like I'll add them on Facebook. Like if they post on Facebook, I'll see like three months later that like they're looking for a roommate. I'll connect them to a roommate. If they post that they're looking for like a really good coffee shop, I'll recommend a coffee shop. You know, that's something where that builds these like layers of connectedness that are not just industry specific. Cause like, what if I leave the industry? Are they going to just forget about me? Like, Oh, Steve was the dating guy. <laughs> and then like, they never think about me in any other context. But when you expand and make it so that, you know, you validate people for who they are as a person, as a full human, not just for their specific role at that specific time. And don't make yourself defined just by a specific role at a specific time. Exactly. So these friendships can last a lifetime. And so for me, you know, I, even when it comes to consulting clients, a lot of times it's like, you're more valuable to me as a friend than someone who like, I can trust to call up and ask like really important, like there's some clients I just don't charge because I want to be able to call them and ask them questions and shoot the shit because that wisdom coming from them is way more important than a couple dollars here and there. And so that's, it's, I always like, I mean, this is maybe one of my 
greater problems with entrepreneurship is that I frequently hyper-prioritize social capital over traditional capital. And so there's only so many times you can not charge people for the work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there, I think there's like a balance to be struck. And I, I have yet to find the proper answer there. I just assume, you know, I dedicate my entire 20s towards social capital when I have the energy and the stamina to do that. Because I know that like, as you get older and more responsibilities get tacked on, it's much like you can still make traditional capital. That never, that ability never really goes away. Exactly. Economy. But when it comes to social capital, I feel like that does require a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, like emotional and physical stamina to just meet people, have conversations, go to events, travel a lot. And so I wanted to get as much of that under my belt in my twenties as I could, and then transition over into focusing a little bit more on financial capital once I've built up enough social capital. When you have so much social capital, the opportunities that come along are, are more fulfilling, more long-term, and like the financial capital opportunities are bigger deals, right? As you mentioned before, you know, do you want to get $500 or have build this great relationship? You know, in two, three years' time, you know, like you said, as an investment, two, three years' time, now the person that was going to pay you $500 is in a position to pay you $5,000 for that, for the project or what they ever they need you to do because they're not, you're trustworthy, you're reliable, you're a great human. Now they're going to hire you for that job, whereas before, you know, that $500 would have just went out through the window, you would have spent it by the end of the week, and then you would have not had that relationship. So I definitely 100% agree with you. And I've seen that pay off. I'm still learning the balance myself, like how much, you know, social capital should I invest? And what I realized is more of, it's really emotional. Like it goes, a lot of emotional goes into social capital because it's like communication, you're being yourself. And so just wherever you see that like balance line, each time it's going to change. Sometimes it's like, you know, I, I should have charged, but I didn't. And but I got the social capital. So you're just figuring out ways to leverage that. Um, we're coming to our time here. So I want to wrap up by asking you, what advice would you give to fellow entrepreneurs who are um, out there or folks that are wanting to become entrepreneurs? What, what's, what advice would you offer them? Like what steps should they be taking right now and thinking about? Oh man. <laughs> uh, so I think the one thing that helped me the most, like when you're, when you're getting involved in a startup, it's like having a child or multiple children where like it's screaming. <laughs> you're basically the only one who's going to pay attention to it or care for it. Like no one, it's not anyone else's kid. It's yours. You're the one who has the equity. You're the one who's, you know, putting all your time and effort into making it continue to exist and to flourish. And so because it's taking up so much time and attention, it's really helpful to have stability in other areas of your life as you're doing it. So like one of the things that stressed me out a lot early on was that I didn't have stable housing for years uh, so I was bouncing around from apartment to apartment. That was taking me like three to six hours a day sometimes just to find out where I'm going to be staying today. And if you think about how much better that time could have been spent if I had some stability already baked in. And the same thing goes for economic stability. So like if you don't know how much money you have in your bank account, whether you can afford food for the week, you know, it's much harder to think about. Like it's Maslow's needs. Like if, if you haven't met your bottom rung hierarchy, mm -hmm. then hard to work on the startup because the startup is oftentimes something that already is costing you a lot of attention on the same needs so like you're not sleeping as much you may not be eating as well you may be not getting much exercise because you're focused so intensely on keeping the startup alive um, <laughs> I think like if you for me like the the luckiest thing that I had uh, when I had my startup was that I had this consultancy 
that I designed to basically take up, you know, max five hours a month, and it would provide me enough income to be able to cover for my expenses that month. And so I knew that like I could get away with working for those, you know, five, maybe 10 hours, but usually just about five. Um, and then I'd be covered for my food that month. <laughs> like, it didn't cover rent really well because I didn't, I had to be much more creative about that. Um, but like find out what it is that people will definitely pay you for. Like I develop at least one skill that you can use to like keep you alive so that you don't always have to like pause the startup in order to then go and like quickly make some money somewhere else. Um, and ideally if you can make sure that that thing is something that is extremely fun or exciting or interesting for you to do. So it doesn't feel like every time you need to go back and make money again. Yeah. Uh, and like, it can be really difficult to find out what that thing, a lot of people might spend their whole lives finding out like, what's the thing that I care so much about that like I can nerd out about this for hours and people would even pay me to keep talking about it because <laughs> I'm so obsessive about it. Um, so I think that's, that's my first recommendation. Yeah. Um, so in addition to like finding out your at least one skill that you can get paid for that covers you so that you can actually focus on your startup, um, I think another important thing is to be insanely realistic about what your startup can actually do for people. Like if you're, if you're buying your own sales pitch without having other people buy it, then there's a problem. <laughs> It can because you're you're in the industry you're dealing with it all the time like you're the one who knows it best in theory but when it comes to your customers like those are the ones who pay you and if you don't have your customers fully on board then you're not making money mm -hmm. I think that one of the things that I learned way too late in my first startup was that you know if you don't have your customers like trying to throw their money at you because they're like so excited about this thing you're building for them then you probably aren't building the right thing um, because it is something where like the, even if it's like pre-order, you know, like Tesla is making, they made so much money from their pre-orders because people wanted that specific thing. And their customers are saying like, please take my money. Like I want it to exist. <laughs> that's, that's a really good sign that you're building something people want. But if you don't have people like salivating over what this product is, over like what it is you, you believe it should exist and you believe it would change their lives. But if your customers aren't really excited about it, then I think you have to really question you know, how much time you want to be putting into this, whether this is the right thing, or just to like, keep talking to more custom, more prospective customers. Um, because if you're building it without knowing that people actually want it, then you may just be digging yourself a multi-year rabbit hole. Definitely. That is such good advice. And I think, you know, just to wrap it up alongside you, just really being realistic with yourself, as you mentioned, is, is key because sometimes it's hard or just having like a mentor or a friend or just honest people around you and then that, that social capital that, you, capital that you build up will allow for a circle of honest people like, hey, I think you should slow down or you should stop or maybe, you know, giving constructive criticism because I, I hate when I just get criticism like, oh, that's not working. Mm -hmm. Why? What should I fix? What, you know, having a solid circle around you will say, hey, I think that's not working. Maybe you should try or maybe you should read, you know, that constructive criticism to help you get to that goal. So that's really, really key and that social capital will advance that. So thank you so much, Steve, for being with us today. Um, his information will be down below in the, the ca caption and comment section if you want to learn more about the work that he's working on and um, his businesses and maybe you can hire him for some dating consulting. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, just thank you so much for being here and spending your time with us today, Steve. 
Thank you. Uh, and I really look forward to seeing and hearing about the rest of this series because I feel like it's something that needs to exist. More people need to have access to these perspectives, not mine, but like, <laughs> I feel like you're constantly getting access to so many different people's struggle. And that's something that you really don't hear about quite enough. And it, like, I, I have been seeing some friends post about this more on Facebook recently, like their struggle, public Facebook posts, putting it out there. And I feel like that's like a version of what you're doing right now. And it's so powerful. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Doing the Most. Catch us here next week. Same time, same place. If you can't wait, head on over to doingthemost.xyz to stay connected. Until next time, keep on doing.